bringing people, students, researchers from various backgrounds together helps tremendously with problem solving in my field. And this is exactly why I was so attracted to joining the Singapore ETH Center, because this center is truly unique with regard to its multicultural research approach. In this episode, I'm talking with Gisbert Schneider, and we are recording our talk live as we pause before our dessert this evening during the annual meeting of the ETH Circle here in Zurich. Our members are our audience this evening, and they've joined us from all over the world to be here tonight. Gisbert is the head of the Singapore ETH Center, SEC, not the US one, SEC for short. And he's gonna talk with us tonight about how he came to take on this role his history with the ETH, and how he combines that role with being a full professor on computer-assisted drug design. So thank you very much for being here tonight. Thanks very much, Susan, for the kind introduction. Happy to be here. You worked at several different places before you came to the ETH. What caused you to actually move here, join the ETH? What was the origin story? Well, the short story is I received a phone call on a Saturday afternoon mm -hmm. from a dear colleague of ours here from ETH. And um, he asked me, Gisbert, what's your plan for the future? I said, well, I'm a professor at the University of Frankfurt right now. You know that. I'm that, very happy. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy. So I said, no, you move to ETH. Well, that's definitive. And then I spoke to my wife immediately after it. Within a split second, we decided that is our future. And we're quite happy with this decision, I can tell you. Do you make all of your decisions so quickly? Usually, yes. Oh. So what was different when you joined the ETH from your position before in Frankfurt? The academic freedom I have here at ETH is tremendous. It's, it's a truly unique place. Mm -hmm. I can explore new avenues of research at the interface of various disciplines, and this is what has attracted me most. So what were the disciplines that you pulled together? Because I know that you do really interesting research on AI and drug design. Right. What were the ones you pulled together to develop your area of research? ETH offered me the opportunity to run a chemistry lab, so a wet lab, and uh, to have a computational group at the same time. So we're combining the fields of informatics, computational sciences, and practical chemistry within one group. And the tremendous challenge uh, which I wanted to solve were to bring these two fields together and um, communicate in, in both languages, the language of computer science and math and the language of chemistry. Now, did you yourself have background in both of those disciplines? Yes, I mean, I studied a few things, uh, not really knowing what I wanted at the time. I can't imagine you being ah, undecisive. Come on, on Gisbert. <laughs> well, in the beginning, I, uh, I wanted to, to become a medical doctor and I studied medicine for three years. Mm -hmm. And um, this wasn't enough because I craved for some deeper scientific knowledge. And I mean, luckily for the world, I didn't become a physician. I can tell you that. <laughs> My patients would have suffered. So uh, I decided to pursue the scientific track, focus on research. So I, I studied biochemistry to have, have a diploma after all. Mm -hmm. And after When you say a diploma, that's an undergraduate No, diploma? no, no. That's the, the master's degree equivalent. Okay at the time. Mm -hmm. I studied in Berlin, in, mm. in Germany. At the time, 
uh, I had the first contact with computational modeling. So I saw these fancy images, these graphics of protein structures. Oh, those and, sort of 3D things. Right, right, right. These 3, 3D thingies. Right, sorry. Okay. <laughs> and I, I thought, this is it. Mm -hmm. And I was hooked. And I've been hooked ever since. What languages did you learn in terms of computer languages? Well, um, I, I actually started learning Pascal with punch cards. Good. And then after that? And after that, uh, we went over to Modular 2, and then Lisp, and then mm -hmm. Prolog, and then C, and then Java, and name them. So um, these languages of computer sciences helped me and help my students. I think, uh, I think everyone should, should have at least to some degree uh, programmed at, at some point uh, in time, helps us to structure a line of thought, how oh. to solve a problem and to formulate that in terms of uh, program code that can be extremely helpful to structure a research program or a research project. And I also teach um, programming and computational design, which is the, the main subject of my research, to chemistry students and to, to biology students. And this is extremely well received, I, I can tell you that. And uh, so my group consists of, I would say, one third hardcore coders, programmers, um, one third chemists, and one third uh, is, is a very diverse bunch. I'm sorry, what's the last third? The last third is um, a group of students and, and, and senior co-workers from physics, from medicine, from biology, uh, even social sciences in part. And why do you bring them into the mix? Because design thinking mm -hmm. uh, is at the heart of what we're doing. Designing an object, in our case new molecules, by, by computational means, um, also requires um, the ability to challenge, to have someone ask the naughty questions, right? to challenge you uh, with what you're doing. Why do you do that? Um, how do you approach it? Is there an alternative? Because the various, say, engineers may have solved problems uh, we're facing in chemistry. Or an architect's thinking, the design process of, of, of architects, we can borrow from that for molecular design. So bringing people, students, researchers from various backgrounds together helps tremendously uh, with problem solving in my field. And this is exactly why I was so attracted to joining the Singapore ETH Center, because this center is truly unique with regard to its multicultural research approach. So let's talk about that transition. So you were a full professor, you had various programs, grad students, postdocs, the whole bit. And then one day you just decided that you would, you'd move to Singapore. Not really. And Petra said she'd come. <laughs> Not really. Actually, it came out of the blue. I spoke uh, one afternoon, I, actually I was called into the office of the president and I, I was a little bit- This is bit during COVID? During COVID, right? Mm. I was a little bit tense, not mm -hmm. not really sure what to expect there, because usually if you have to go to the headmasters, you know, never a good thing. A different story. So, and um, <laughs> Joel Mezo was straightforward and asked me, Gisbert, would you be interested to take over the Singapore ETH Center as a director? And I looked at him, said, "What me? Yes, you are the one we need." I thought, well, let me think about that. And this time it took a bit longer than a few milliseconds, but of course I went home. I talked to my dear beloved wife, partner in science and life for many, many years now, 
and together we decided let's go um, on this adventure. Now, should I assume from that that the program in Singapore focuses on the area that you were focusing on? It doesn't, right? It looks no. at issues like the future of cities. Yes. So the Singapore ETH Center is about um, a healthy planet, healthy cities, healthy communities, healthy mm. systems, and healthy individuals. And our slogan is, uh, the future is green, clean, and healthy. There is no alternative. Okay, there's no plan B. There is B. no plan B, exactly. And we're developing approaches, solutions, uh, with hopefully tangible outcome to address these uh, most challenging questions of our time. So it has not much to do with computational molecular design, at least not for now. But it does sound it is an area that benefits from a series of diverse perspectives. Right. That these are system issues. Right. And so architects and scientists and researchers working together can work on it. What's the most exciting project you're working on there? Oh, we only have exciting projects. I, I, I know, I know, I know. But yeah. of all those exciting projects, what are the two or three that, that you make, make it exciting to come to work? Right. Um, one of our main work uh, horses, so to say, is the Future Cities Lab Global. The Future okay. Cities Lab is a program that was started by my predecessor, Gerhard Schmidt, uh, 12 years ago already, together with our partners and friends in Singapore, um, to look at future cities. How do we want to live in the future? Mm -hmm. What makes a city livable? Um, which sustainability issues do we have? I mean, given the fact that in approximately 30 years uh, from now, we expect that roughly half of the world's population will live in an urban context mm -hmm. rather than a rural context. We see it everywhere, also here in Switzerland, cities become denser. Mm -hmm. And how do we cope with that situation? Which effects does that have on the well-being, on the individual health, on, on the, say, resilience of communities, for mm -hmm. example. So here in, in this context, we have very exciting uh, studies, for example, revolving around uh, the question, what if I planted a million trees in Singapore? Mm -hmm. Where should we plant them? Which kind of trees are, should we plant? And all these decisions have an effect mm -hmm. on, say, the climate, uh, city climate, the urban heat island that arises from, from dense uh, cities. We have several projects around, uh, revolving around uh, this, this question. For example, a very interesting uh, project, Cooling Singapore. How to mitigate the climate effect and the urban heat island effect in a city so that uh, we can decrease or at least reduce to some degree further increase of temperature in a city. When he started the lab and now when you're running this lab, the Future Cities Lab, it must be fascinating to do that in Asia, especially with the rise of these megacities. Right. I mean, Singapore is one of the cities of the future, as I'd like to uh, refer to Singapore. We were, and still are, of course, warmly welcomed there because this, this is a true partnership uh, with Singapore to develop this kind of, say, research program. Singapore is could be taken as an example of many of these uh, for many of these mega cities, mm -hmm. in particular in Asia. But it's not only about mega cities; it's also about the hinterland and the uh, um, say relationship between urban densification and all the the effects that has on the neighborhood. 
with regard to economics, with regard to sustainable food uh, delivery and, and things like that. So we try to approach these types of questions in a holistic manner. Mm -hmm. And that's the reason why we are so diverse with regard to backgrounds, knowledge and culture. Can you give some of the stats about it's not like five people, right? It's no, a large uh, I mean, it's office. 12 years ago, it started with two. Okay. And that was a very courageous, brave uh, step at the time. Meanwhile, we've grown to, say, uh, 120 permanent uh, researchers and staff with 150 to 180 additional uh, PIs and experts and research colleagues worldwide who spend time at, e at the SEC for, for certain periods of time or with whom we are very closely associated. The SEC, the Singapore ETH Center, is part of the CREATE initiative okay. uh, in Singapore, which is an, an initiative by uh, the Prime Minister's office. There is actually a, a physical tower in, in Singapore, and within this tower there are 11 such entities like mm. the SEC. We have MIT there, we have Berkeley there, we have the University of Cambridge there, University of Jerusalem, and so on, and so on, and so on. And that makes up a worldwide, I think, unique uh, setting where we can interact with colleagues from the top universities and at the same time perform cutting-edge research and learn from each other. How do you manage both a you 300-person know, research office, which sounds like a lot of areas of research, plus continue to run your lab in Zurich? I mean, do you ever sleep or how does that work? I, I rest well, trust me. <laughs> Otherwise, it, it wouldn't work. I mean, personally, I exercise every day. I go for a swim just to clear my mind. And otherwise, it's about um, community building and trusting in co-workers. And I have a tremendously willing and, and positively thinking staff. And I have a wonderful uh, managing director who has joined only recently to handle most of the administrative work so that I have some time at least to take care about strategic thinking and community building. That sounds all perfect. <laughs> Is there any downside to this that we're not talking about? <laughs> we haven't talked so much so far. <laughs> of course, we can address uh, all kinds of topics here. Yes, um, I mean, to me personally, it was quite a challenge to cope with the very endpoint focused, very structured approach uh, of the, say, Singapore funding scheme and, and re approach to research. Huh. So it was an eye-opener to me coming from University of Frankfurt, University of Berlin, University here at the ETH to Asia. And I wanted to make that experience, actually, because we are more, more or less here in, in Zurich at ETH bottom-up driven. We have 600 professorships approximately, mm -hmm. which are individual entrepreneurs and perform research to their liking, more or less. So they, they get to set their own agenda. Right. Say, I'm and, curious in this, or I want to work with that professor in that. Right. So, and in Singapore, most of the research programs and di directions are quite structured. So we have uh, national uh, goals uh, for, for research, certain topics, for example, sustainability. Mm -hmm. As, as one of the major themes, and there is quite some money, research funding to uh, attract and, and uh, obtain if we are within this um, strategic setting provided by Singapore. The ETH Center in, in Singapore is not a truly academic institution. It's mm -hmm. not a real company, although we're a, com legal, a separate legal entity. We're in between, so it's an amazing spot 
to discover the benefits of a clear goal-focused, endpoint-focused research approach and mix that with a creativity that is born from a bottom-up approach. That, to me, is, is the challenge, personally, but also um, when bringing together colleagues uh, from different backgrounds. So, in other words, when you went to the, the SEC, it sounds like they're very results-driven. Yes. And that was a pretty jarring change from, gosh, what do you want to study now? Right. Got it. So, squaring that circle, reconciling those two. Right. How do you explain that to ETH students who come and visit or professors who come over to, to work there? Well, they make this experience, I would say, on day one already when we have team meetings and clearly discuss where, we, where do we stand with our key performance indicators, which we have to fulfill. And that is new to most of the students from, from ETH. What's a KPI? So we have a bar telling us uh, the percentage of success, where do we stand, uh, where are we lagging behind for each of these projects. It's probably a good thing you worked in the private sector before you yes. went to academia. Yes, you're right. I started my career actually at Roche Pharma in Basel in Switzerland. That was at the time a decision which was not lightly taken uh, simply because uh, we ran out of money as postdoctoral students and no funding anymore. So my wife and I said, we have to do something. So, and at the time, an academic career was uh, not really um, feasible uh, mm -hmm. for me or, or for, for my wife. So we decided, let's, let's try industry. And that was the best thing, education-wise, that ever happened to me. And I can only recommend that any researcher, any professor at, at some point spends some time in industry and makes that experience. And did you swim in the Rhine? Yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. Now, I have a note here to ask you about your music. My music? Yeah. Yes. Uh, what do you want to know? So, uh, <laughs> no, well, talking, talking, career, talking career development, uh -huh. there was a very brief period in my life when I had the, well, it's true, um, idea of actually becoming a rock star. And, really? Uh, yes, I mean... You got the hair. Yeah, yeah, come on. <laughs> um, no, at, at a teenager, um, I learned to play the trumpet, and I mean, that wasn't really sexy at the I time. I was about right? to say, I don't so, recall rock stars who played the yeah, trumpet. So, and my motivation to take up the guitar was actually I wanted to play in a band and, and meet and girls. And guy. And in fact, it, it, it worked brilliant. out marvelously. Where did you grow up again? Uh, in the middle of nowhere. Well, actually in a tiny little town called Schlitz. Yes, some uh, Americans will know Schlitz beer. Yeah, Humphrey Bogart's favorite, the beer that made Milwaukee famous. Exactly, right. right. And and where is Schlitz? Where is Schlitz? In the north of Frankfurt, in the middle of nowhere, surrounded by forests. And I mean, as a teenager, once you hit puberty, uh, you have to you get away. To you have to. How big was this village? Um, this village, oh, it's, it's a small city, actually, has city rights. Mm -hmm. um, Oh, roughly 4,000 inhabitants. Wow, okay. All right, so Very you rural. were the local rock star. No, not at that time. <laughs> I, I started my rock star career in Berlin, uh -huh. and it, it paid off. I met my wife at one of the concerts. Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> and you played bass guitars? No, I played uh, lead guitar, actually. You played lead guitar? Yes. Did you sing? Yes. Whoa. Long time ago. But I gotten the wiser and I dropped that, <laughs> that ambition. Did? Yes, I still play the guitar uh, whenever ever I find time. We once had, a, had an ETH band playing, well, at parties from time to time. But I'm still looking for a bass 
player and the drummer at the SEC to, to restart that. To, uh, that sounds brilliant. And did you write music as well? <laughs> I wish I could, no. Um, there is no real talent. Well, I, I think future audiences are better off with me not doing that. I understand. Well, it sounds like you found your groove regardless. There you go. Okay. So there are some questions that we'd love to ask yep. during these podcasts, just so to bring up some things. What is your favorite place to go in Zurich? Lakeside. And just look across the lake and see the Alps and take a deep breath, relax, and say, uh, think to myself, what a privilege it is to live in Zurich. And where is your favorite place to have coffee? I don't drink coffee, but I drink tea. <laughs> so um, possibly, possibly on my terrace at home. And when you were growing up, I think you've answered this question, but what did you want to be when you grew up? Actually, I wanted to become an engineer, travel the world to support countries with droughts to find new resources for drinking water. That well, it sounds like you're actually doing part of your dream now. Yes, then. yes. Because water's a big deal in Singapore, yes. isn't it? Listen, thank you so much, Gisbert. Thank you, Susan. It's been a true <laughs> pleasure. Appreciate it. I'm Susan Kish, host of the We Are ETH series. Please subscribe to this podcast and join us wherever you listen. And give us a good rating on Spotify or Apple if you enjoyed today's conversation. I'd like to thank our producers at ETH Circle and Ellie Media. And thank you, our listeners, for joining us. Thank you. That was great. It was the most enjoyable. Good. Good. You did great. Thank you. All right. <laughs>